money. Say something, or was it just a way to make more money? Cadillacs and dinosaurs. This is uh, the podcast where we talk about everything and. Um, I have a I have a um I have a retraction to print or say and it was based on the last thing I this thing I said in the last episode which was uh it was less about Einstein's ideas than it was about how he thought. That's 100% not true. It's it's absolutely all about the ideas that he uh made up and uh, the theories he created. So that's the retraction that I have to start the show. Um I feel like we should have a new segment where we start yeah. the show by doing retractions from the last show we should. where it's like uh yeah actually uh, somebody complained and <laughs> we'd like to apologize. It's like um I've listened to I'm the editor of this thing so I listened to hours and hours and hours of it then I put it away. So these things are already in my brain. Uh I'm trying to keep the level of this thing very high and um the the intellectual I'm trying to keep the thought process process Coherent? I'm trying to keep the thought processes <laughs> coherent in this show, so I want to do that retraction. Also, you just heard, um, most likely, if you were paying attention, to the the music in the beginning. That's a shout out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna invent something now. It's not gonna be a shout out. It's gonna be a yell out. I'm gonna say yell out from now on. We have a yell out to Grayson uh, from the last show because he. He saw that we were lacking in uh, in theme music, and yeah. so he decided to take it upon himself to put together that awesome intro that uh, absolutely is perfect for uh, the vibe we're going for. It sounds a lot like, in my opinion, uh, even though Grayson probably had no idea, uh, it really captures the vibe of the old uh, Coast to Coast AM uh, intro music, I think, when they would come back from their their uh, station breaks. Uh, they always had this really awesome music that the, you know they're playing the show at one in the morning in Nevada, and they'd always come back and say broadcasting from the high desert, and it'd be this blah, 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 yeah. kind of cool music. And uh, I feel like that's where that takes me, and that's exactly where I want to be. Exactly, I love spoken word stuff, and I he did this other thing with the theme music. Not only does it sound cool, it's about Rod Serling, and if you guys don't know Rod Serling, he was the Twilight. Zone creator. He created Twilight Zone. He had quite a life. He died young. Not that that's interesting. It's tragic. It's just an interesting side point. But he led this very interesting life. He was in World War II. Uh, he wanted to go to Germany, but he went to the Philippines instead in the Pacific Theater. He fought there. He was a paratrooper. He comes back. He goes to New York. He starts doing broadcasting stuff. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know who Rod Sterling It's not Sterling. What, what did I say? It's Serling. Serling. There's See, no T a... in the in Mr. Serling's name. Okay. And I know everyone probably says Sterling, and you probably... That's um... why I couldn't Google it. <laughs> I can't spell my There's way out no... of a wet, wet paper bag. We forgot um... to introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Zach. Yes, yeah. This is Bo. Hey, I'm Bo. Uh, Grayson's not here today. He's somewhere else. He's um, traveling abroad. He's traveling. He's probably on vacation or something. But there's a lot of interesting things I found out about Mr. Serling. He, after he did the broadcasting thing, then he's, during the late 1950s, he fought CBS, the network, when they insisted on editing his controversial scripts. 
and surprise, surprise, they won. So he kind of stopped trying to do realistic stuff. And so in 59, he turned from realism to sci-fi fantasy. He just changed genres. Then he wrote the series Twilight Zone and presented it. Also, which is an amazing show by itself, it ran for five years, 59 to 64. He co-wrote, actually, the screenplay. If you didn't know this, Zach, the, he co-wrote the screenplay for the original movie version of Planet of the Apes. Really? Well, he was obviously very satirical, right? Like, there was always a morality tale, and it was you didn't mm -hmm. even realize it until a lot of times at the very end. He was, he was very good, especially at that point in time, at making you think about a topic... Like, you know, kind of laugh, like, oh, that'd be crazy if that happened. I'm glad I don't live in that world. And then when you realize he's very thinly referencing something that really is happening in the real world, that's the kind of genius of it, of making you think about it without even realizing it. Yeah, really smart guy. I think he would have been a fan of this show. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Him and the three other people that listen. They would have all got together and really enjoyed it. <laughs> Even the three other people, we have someone from another country that has listened, so thank you. We have that two person. people from other countries. Two people, sorry, <laughs> not to diminish your role. If what else? Did I want so to big yellow to our uh, yeah, international yellow. crowd. Thank you so much. Huge. For accidentally clicking on whatever you clicked on <laughs> that led you to here. Hopefully, you stuck around once you landed on it. No, I know. I, I did that thing this week. I sort of cruised around on some podcasts, and obviously, there's the famous ones, but there's so many. Like just some person named Kyle. These are interesting facts about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've I accidentally clicked on this. Yeah, I've, well, I mean, it's the same thing with YouTube, where you're just like, let's roll the dice and see if this is interesting or an insane person. And yeah. Either way, it's entertaining. There's other subjects I, I could keep going with. But... Well, I was just going to say that uh, for our listeners, we're, we're going away from our standard formula, yeah, which, yeah. I mean, I know there's not a whole lot of structure up to this point, but every time we're kind of like trying to refine it, Make it a bit more coherent, as Buck said, or Bo said. <laughs> Sorry, we were talking about my cousin Buck earlier, and so that was in my head. Instead of having kind of two big topics, we just put together kind of a grab bag of a bunch of smaller uh, topics we're just going to kind of chat about because we have a larger topic that we're, we're both really wanting to put some good research into before we, we put it together. We're doing a big episode on remote viewing that uh, is just really a lot to go over and we want to give it the, the due it deserves so that we can uh, really enjoy it and not just fumble through it. So today we're just going to fumble. We're going to get the fumbles out of the way and just yeah. fumble through a couple of rando things and uh, hopefully yeah. it's entertaining. I think it'll be good because even, even on a lot of the episodes I've reviewed, like I don't even say the thing I wanted to say most of the time. Sometimes I do and, and sometimes it's it comes out really well from your end and, and sometimes on my end, but... It's fine to just talk about things, too. Like, I think it's... Like, there's a lot that happened... Well, that and it's just, like, what we have been doing is doing kind of almost like a recap episode after the episode where we talk about the main thing, and then afterwards we're like, okay, I got a couple of loose ends on it, which I, I think is great. If we ever get to the point where we have a Patreon, that would be the material for the, like... Oh, if you want to hear us ramble just a little bit more about that topic, uh, you know... I know, yeah. The after hours... We're doing the after hours thing, which I think is really interesting. There's less pressure. Yeah. And it's it's basically all after hours anyway material, which... Except for today. We're doing it early morning, actually. Early not, morning, Not super yeah. early, but if this is the earliest we've recorded. We're doing a solid 11 a.m. shift here on our <laughs> day off. It's it's a different vibe. I thought, uh, I thought it was a sham. I thought it was like dishwashers. 
Oh, I mean, dishwashers are a scam. <laughs> I, am, I am pro microwave. I am anti dishwasher. I am so anti. Every time I've ever had a dishwasher, it's the same thing. The the dishes come out, they're not clean enough, and you have to wash them. And then the wife says, "Well, you got to wash them before you put them in." Well, great. Now it's even more of a waste of time. I have to wash them because the weak washing machine can't actually wash them. The, why are we wasting our time and energy and money on this useless appliance? It's such a sham. Plus, I, I kind of like it. washing the dishes. Like, I'll put my, I'll put my pod, that's when I do my podcast listening. Mm. Is I put that in, and I, the, the hands don't need a lot of attention. They'll wash the dishes, and I just stare out the window and listen to the podcast. It's great. It's very therapeutic. Yeah, I agree. So, c congratulations, Whirlpool. You, you fooled the American public. Um, <laughs> All your appliances are secretly useless. Yeah. Man, so what do you got? So basically, all what I have is an expanded version of the game we played at the end of last time. I'm not going to yes. do the, the thing where I give three and you pick the fake one. I'm just going to go down, and then we, whenever it's my turn, it, it's just going to be, do you think, before I get into it, I'm going to say the brief thing. I'm going to say true or false, and you're just going to say whatever you think, and then I'm going to go through it. And okay. then we'll go through as many of those as we want to, mixed in with, if any of it lined, if you want to jump in with anything you have, and we'll just kind of go back and forth. That does seem more efficient, because the game we just played with the three questions, my mind was like just grappling with the names of them. And then... I think that game works better with more people too. Like if we have a guest, that would be a good time to do that. And yeah. then you guys can talk, you two can talk it out. And that, that's a thing. Whereas this way, if it's just true. you and me, we'll just kind of bat yeah, it back. Yeah, we can do true and false. I've noticed that we interrupt each other a lot. That's fine. Which... <laughs> it's mostly me interrupting you actually is what it is. You don't ever interrupt me. I try not to. And... Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, we're still learning. Anyway, how much, whatever. How much mansplaining do we do? I hope not that much. You know, <laughs> I just feel like there's enough of that, and I don't want to do that. I just these are interesting things to me, so. I feel like there needs to be a different. Like I feel like whatever mansplaining is usually when somebody it tells you how to do a thing, like mm -hmm. oh you don't know how weed whacker works, so let me you know, give them a real stupid explanation. Whatever the version of that is, oh you don't know what that conspiracy is, let me mansplain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw your uh, your pictures of your shed. Zach's working on a uh, shed. Um, not the shed itself, but the the what's it called? The siding. Yes, yeah. the siding and it's looking great. Bond. Should we say it again? Shuki. So it shows Yeah, just mumble your way through it. It's Japanese the... wood burning. So walk us through it. So you char the wood, and somebody just asked, it's funny, someone who saw my post and they were asking me about it last night too, and they were like, well, how does the wood not just catch on fire? Like, the mines are blown, but how do you burn wood without burning it? I'm like, well, you ever take like a really big log and throw it on fire and it doesn't just burn into a ball of fire? It just <laughs> chars and chars. Same basic principle. Uh, thick wood doesn't just burn up. So essentially, you just get yourself one of those like roofing torches. And you just go up and down it, and it just gets darker and darker. And you can go from like a light, nice brown tan to it, all the way up to an alligator skin char. Mm -hmm. And the more char you have on it, it creates a carbon layer on the outside of the wood. And what that does is it protects it from weathering, because that carbon is like a force field, practically, as far as wood goes, where it doesn't allow anything. UV light doesn't penetrate through it. Really? Uh, weather, water doesn't penetrate through it. Uh, it I mean... Technically, it should be good for about a thousand years the way the Japanese do it. They've been doing, I mean, obviously, I'm no Japanese craftsman. I'm a guy who went to Home Depot and bought, some, <laughs> bought a torch and I have some old fence wood. But I'm, I am using cedar and it's, uh, you know, it's going good. And it looks really nice and it's a good excuse to learn a new thing. That's super cool. I didn't know that about the, the carbon layer. That's interesting. 
Because I, I assumed once things were burned, then they were basically garbage. Like, the weather could get to them more easily. No, it's the opposite. Yeah, I Which, again, just give it to the Japanese for figuring that out. Back before you had stains and mm -hmm. resins and all these different things, polymers, they were... They realized that if you burned, I, I mean, I don't know the whole history of how they figured it out, but uh, they they apparently knew it for a long time. But then after like World War One or World War Two, somewhere in the early nineteenth uh, century, they realized it was a very cheap and efficient way to weatherproof their houses, and so That's they great. started doing that. And again, like most things, these old crafts turn into new. You know, now it's super expensive to do it, whereas the whole purpose of it before was anybody could do it. If you had a fire and some wood, you know, it was like, you know, anybody building their own house or needing to do that, they could. So. I, th I think I talked to uh, another guy this week or a couple weeks ago. He said he had to do it or he was working on a house that they had had it done up in some fancy place of Washington. And it, it's very labor intensive. At it's that, extremely labor intensive. Just at that level, level, too. Like, it's like luxury yeah. high-end whatever you know whatever so yeah i mean especially if you're doing it with brand new wood and you want everything like super symmetrical and you know like really modern straight lines and no joints and stuff showing like yeah the thing that you know you're, you're never blazed working with wood. you got to trim a little bit off here and do that whatever well every time you do that you have to reburn the wood oh. and so you got to get the torch fired back up you got to but especially for what i'm doing i'm having to like plane it because I'm using old wood that's like bowed. Yeah. So I have to plane it so it's flat. I have to pull all the old nails out of it. I have to strip all the paint off it. I have to then burn it and then I have to go back. So you do it with a big torch to burn the whole thing. Oh. And then, but like different density in the wood. So if there's a knot or, oh, or something like that, to... that doesn't burn at the same rate because oh. the wood's denser. So then okay. you have to go back with a acetylene torch and burn just those small sections. So it's, mm. it ends up being a lot. So I That's hope cool. our listeners are really into woodcraft <laughs> because that just went on a whole different direction. I think there's maybe one person out there. <laughs> no, I'm interested. Who knows? In maybe it. all of a sudden now we get like a thousand hits because finally <laughs> they're talking about woodworking. I don't even know the category of podcast we're under. I know it's science. I, I clicked it on science. You had Is it, it on, science? I, I forget what you had it on before, but I, I was like... Well, let's do science, because we, we do talk about some, some weird stuff, but I feel like most of it is science-based. I feel not, like it is, too. I, I don't feel like we go into the, like, hypo like uh, we at least propose it as these are things that could hypothetically happen that maybe we just don't have enough evidence to prove, Yeah. but we're trying to find the evidence, or at least paint the picture that it could be found, not, you know, this yeah, is, yeah, a, this yeah. is my favorite episode of Star Wars. Kind yeah, of thing. and there's plenty of those podcasts, and that's fine. Maybe eventually we'll... Right. Oh, there's something. Okay, go ahead. Do, go do, ahead do we want to do we want to get into the the real stuff? Do now? one of your do one of your um okay government projects. Okay, so again, I'm just gonna give you a brief uh, thing, and uh, should I just do just the just the name of the operation? Just like that cold, or should I go at least like a little information? We'll about start it with the name and see what happens. Well, what I think of it, if we can go into it, if it's true or false. Okay, Operation Ice Worm. Hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Let me think. Ice worm, ice worm. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of information and you tell me what you think. A secret project to dig tunnels under the ice sheets in Greenland. <laughs> I'm gonna say false. Operation Ice Worm. Uh, the cover story for Operation Ice Worm was Camp Century and was described to the uh, Greenland government at the time as a demonstration of affordable ice cap military outpost construction. The secret project that was actually happening was codenamed Project Ice Worm. 
was to be a system of tunnels of over 2,500 miles in length used to deploy up to 600 nuclear missiles that would be able to reach the Soviet Union in case of a nuclear war. The missile locations would be under the cover of Greenland's ice sheets and were supposed to be periodically changed. So basically they're going to make a, a series of railway networks under the ice so that these trains carrying you know, the mobile launching stations could be deployed anywhere, but you wouldn't be able to see them because they'd be buried under ice sheets. So they created these crazy machines to bore holes through yeah. the ice and they actually made a couple hundred miles of stuff. But the reason, the thing that's really funny is just they lied to Greenland saying, we're just practicing making these, like it was like a military exercise. Can't we make a base on the ice basically? And Greenland's like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. What they didn't tell them is one, that they were making thousands of miles of tunnels under the ice. They literally were like, it, like when you look at pictures of this, it looks like they're setting up a camp up on like the ice. Oh yeah, you know, like you remember when we watched the thing about Operation uh, High Jump and yeah, they show them, so it looks very similar to that. But what they were actually doing is creating these big tunnels under this fake looking base on the surface that went hundreds of miles under the ice. And they had to set up with, you know, everything you would imagine on a military base. With the addition of nuclear, the, they have the first portable nuclear reactors. Wow, that's uh, a big step. And it was, so uh, it was a legitimate operation. They lied to the Greenland government. Yeah, it says the total number of inhabitants was around 200. From 1960 to 1963, the electrical supply was provided by means of the world's first portable nuclear reactor, designated PM2A, and designed by ALCO for the U.S. Army. Water was was supplied by melting glaciers. And the uh, this was a little interesting uh, tidbit that they said that they had to, while the water, they pulled water from the glaciers as it melted, you know, like obviously, you know, they just melt the ice. They said most of the snow had to be tested for plague before it could be used. Mm, interesting. That seems very odd. That, that, that's one of those things that just stick out in my mind like. Well, it was a legitimate concern. Was, yeah, but I mean, it's just crazy that you're melting. I mean, because the ice is so old, they're worried about ancient pathogens, basically, which oddly yeah. enough was a. Uh, part of uh, X-Files episode <laughs> that, <laughs> back in the day. Oh, was it an X-Files episode? Because yeah. I watched this whole series called Solitude and it was exclusively on that. I saw that too. You That's saw that? That was dark, dark, dude. That was yeah. a dark show. That was crazy weird. So that one's true. That one's true. Yeah, I said false. And I'm also Greenland got really pissed off when they found out that the U.S. secretly had nuclear reactors out under the ice sheets. And that's sure. when, uh, you know, things got a little dicey. I'm sure they do because... um. It seems like a fairly peaceful nation, you yeah. know, doesn't want nuclear bombs hiding under the surface of their ice. Yeah, but, uh, you know, America just goes ahead and does whatever they want whenever they want to because yeah. freedom. Yeah, it is fair, It's super close to Russia. If you go up on the top of the world, which I'm looking at now, it's, it's pretty Did you pull cool. up a satellite feed? Yeah, with satellite feed, there's a... <laughs> and it's really weird, like, the because it's so close to the um, pole... Obviously, it does that thing where it splits the continent of Greenland because it can't show it accurately. The perspective of it. Yeah, it's just fascinating. What? Yeah, it's it's actually it's like Alaska. It's way bigger than you think it is in it's, your head. Yeah. In your head, you think of it as the size of Iceland, but yeah. Iceland is one one hundredth the size of Greenland. Iceland's tiny. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I was just teaching about how Greenland's icy and Iceland's green. Blew yeah. her mind. No, it That's a four-year-old conspiracy. <laughs> She's going around telling her friends, going, did you know? Did you know? In her, it, in her, in her uh, flower got, sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> did you know that Iceland's green and Greenland's green? That's fake news. It's two four-year-olds having this conversation. It's, it's great. You're training a little you. You realize yep. that. 100%. <laughs> I am constantly telling her. I am going to teach her 
everything that they didn't teach me when I was in school. I'm talking everything from how to tune a carburetor to how to tell the moon landing was faked. All of it. She's getting all the info. <laughs> and she'll be better for it. I completely am on board with that. That's a great parenting style. I don't have any, so... I'm not looking forward to when... It, it blows my mind. I mean, they've been doing this for a couple of years now that they teach 9-11 in history class. Now that's how long ago it happened. And I can't even imagine what that looks like in a school book. And someday Scott's going to bring that book home and I'm going to have to go, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> and try and explain. Papa was there. Okay, let me tell you what really went down. Yeah. It's not pretty. Where were you? I remember where I was. I was in college. I was in uh, my automotive class and uh, my shop teacher came out. Freshman? Was, uh, it, was only, it was a technical program. Oh, so okay. It was only, okay. But yeah, it was Sorry. a year after high school. So I was 19 at the time. And my shop teacher came out and was looked white as a ghost. And he's like, you guys, all, everybody come in here. And he pulled, you know, he got the, tra the card out with the, with the tube TV on top of it, wheeled it out. And he says, uh, you're all, everybody sit down. And he turns the news on and we're all just sitting there like, this is weird. Why is he doing this? We've never done this before. And he's just standing there watching it. And we're all standing there watching it. And after about probably 20, 30 minutes, and it was right after the first plane hit. And uh, everybody just kind of sat there quietly. And then he goes... I don't know, everybody go home, I guess. Like no one knew what to do, you know? And then immediately after that, uh, everybody was lining up to gas stations and panicking about gas. Oh, really? Yeah, that was like... I um, have a very similar experience. I was in English class, first year in college, junior college, and same thing. The teacher, it's like... Wheels out the cart. We have to watch something. Wheels out the cart with the TV on top, and then we watch it, and she says... You just go home. So we went home. By that time, I think the second plane had hit or something. And my dad's like, I don't even remember what we said. We were just watching the TV. I was like, Yeah. This is this is bad. World changing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's it's save so, this for another episode. I'm not we, even gonna say it. Yeah. We could yeah, go there's into a, it. There's a lot of stuff to unpack with that. So yeah, let's let's, let's just save that for later. Clear, yeah. Annie, what do you yeah. got? What do you? Okay. So there's this thing called. It's called okay. So there, it's more in Europe. There's these things that you can join, probably not here so much, but it's these bell ringing clubs. Oh yeah, you told me. I just found out that they do this over in Europe because they have more churches and they have more bells around. And I'm not talking handheld bells, that's dumb. Well, first when you told me about this, just in passing, I thought you were talking about like that frequency healing stuff. Like oh. there's tone, like, you know how like monks in the Middle East, they have those bowls that make a frequency or like yeah. now it's really big on YouTube. You can just turn to a channel that's like all it does is broadcast a video that's broadcasting at 25.8 hertz. And someone will say, this oh. is for healing your this or this yeah. is and you know, it's everything from this will help your kidney health to this will help your mental health. to yeah. this will make your skin clear. Like, you know, it's all snake oil, but snake sorry oil. if anybody, I mean, I think it's right there with essential oils as far as like, <laughs> uh -oh. the efficacy of, of healing. That is true. The placebo effect can be extremely strong. So if you believe it's helping, then sure, keep doing it. But if it don't, relaxes you, and if you think it relaxes you, then it's relaxing. Then it's you. fine. Yeah. But, but if you got cancer, you might you might want to go to a doctor. You might, if might, your uh, leg is broken, <laughs> do not put peppermint oil on it. It's not going to go it's that deep. Thing. Anyways, yeah, bell ringing. It's sorry. the bell ringing clubs. They're they're not handheld. They're giant, not giant, but like bells. You you have to pull with a rope. And if you watch some of these clubs go, it's kind of a beautiful thing because. You're in charge of one bell. And so you pull one, you pull the rope, and then the next person, according to whatever music you're trying to create, everyone has a different note. And oh. you have to work in synchronicity to, to create 
what you want or create something random that might be beautiful also. Obviously, they don't have them here. There's one article I pulled up. So this we're is, talking about somewhere that there's like a bunch of bells to pull. Bells to pull. It's either churches or or specifically a series of bells so, someone has so, constructed. Okay, so like sometimes maybe they go on a field trip, you get up 20 people are in the bell club and you go yes. to this destination say, hey, yeah. we're all going to go. Okay, so there's like a community to it. That's that's uh, it's pretty cool. That's cool. I mean, it's like definitely a niche thing, but it's it kind is. of fun. And it's called, okay, I'll read this small paragraph of this article that was out four years ago. They went to Washington, D.C. to some, their name is Washington National Cathedral, hosts change ringing competition. That's what the... It's this, a competition? Well, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, that just kicked it up a notch. I thought this was a casual thing. <laughs> no, you know what I people, thought this was some casual bell ringing. No, no, so no, no, Somebody no. else goes, I bet I can ring that bell, but you know... Yeah. Bring your boys up with my boys. We're going to ring these bells. And then we'll meet on Main Street and we'll rumble. Um, it's called change ringing. Change ringing is the art of producing musical patterns from the bells' different sounds and pitches while ringing them. The Washington National Cathedral's carillon, or set of bells, the set of bells is called carillon, includes... That's a, new, that's a vocab word for you. Right. Includes 53 bronze bells that wow. the ringers operate on the building's... 31st story. Wow. This seems like like it was a competition that like this this was a thing people did back in like the medieval times. Yes, 100%. And um, it's just uh, enjoying some new life. It's it's fantastic. I think there's obviously I can't go anywhere at this moment to like get into a bell ringing club, but uh you could start a chapter. It, you I could feel like Fremont is ripe for a bell ringing club. <laughs> Fremont. Oh, uh, it says one of the persons there running it said, Sinclair said there are ringers from all over the country and the world. So that's pretty cool. And Saturday and Saturday's competition was no exception. She said there were individuals from Indiana, Toronto, and Seattle, and entire groups of performers from Boston, New York, and Delaware performing in the competition Saturday. I feel like this is a lot like golf, where you could tell your friends that you're a competitive athlete. And they look at you and you're like, well, you seem like you're kind of fat to be an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, actually, I'm a professional bell ringer. It's true. And it's like that, um, I'm sure you saw uh, Speed Cubing, that documentary on Netflix. On uh, Rubik's Cube. Rubik's Cube. I was just working on Rubik's Cube last night, actually. Were you? That's I need funny. to get one. That's some synchronicity right there. I uh, never as a child really put a lot of time into a Rubik's Cube. I mean, I was like most people, 90% of the population goes, this is too hard. And then, you know, you play with it for 10 minutes. Last night, I was over at someone's house. And I was thinking of that documentary, and it was funny because I pick it up. I'm like, hey, watch this. I can do this in like 30 seconds. They looked at me, and they go, really? And I go, no. <laughs> and I proceeded for an hour playing with it. But I, by the end of it, uh, I was actually able to figure out like how – like understand the patterning of it, mm. of like how it worked. And I got one side, and I felt very accomplished. You got one side, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. One side. I That's great. Um, I haven't ever – I haven't touched a Rubik's Cube in like 25 years or whatever, but I saw, obviously most people probably listening to this podcast, if you haven't seen the documentary, you go watch it because it's amazing. Now, and you said it's called Gleaming the Cube. I don't know what it's called, actually. Let me just think. Gleaming the Cube is a skateboarding movie. Oh, is it? Slater from the 80s. <laughs> which we should probably we, watch. Which is a classic, classic film. Called? I think a young Tony Hawk's actually has an extra... We'll be doing a, uh, anyway. a retraction of that later on. We'll the next retract episode. it, yeah. There'll be a lot, a lot of retractions on that one. And then, okay, so that's what I found that was cool this week. Again, I'm probably never going to be part of it. Uh, never say never, Bo. Change ringing. I'm probably never going to be a change ringer on a carillon, but um, 
you know, it was something interesting. I think you can find interesting things out in your own life and go do them like prospecting like I like to do. Haven't done it recently or metal detecting. Well, it's been I winter. Don't... This is not it's prime. Been, yeah. This is a, there's a season for metal detecting. It's you know not when it's right. so cold outside you don't want to leave the house. It's you're when right. it's warm and sunny and you go, I need an excuse to be outside. Because that's really what the best part of metal detecting is. It's an excuse to go somewhere and do something and not just get out of the car and go, well, I guess I'm at this beach and I'll look at it for a while. Yeah. You can I... spend an hour at the beach and actually feel like you accomplished something and maybe find some gold doubloons because that's right. always a possibility. Okay, you want to jump in on the next one? Sure. I got a real weird one here. I won't tell you if it's true or false. Sounds like it's true, it's... but... <laughs> okay. Uh, Operation Devil Eyes. Ooh. This is a psychological... I'm just going to tell you, this is a real one. It okay. blew my mind. Uh, Operation Devil Eyes. A psychological warfare program designed by the CIA to distribute Osama Bin Laden action figures throughout South Asia. All right? Oh, my That's gosh. not the weird part. Oh. The weird part is that they had heat-treated the faces of these action figures so that they would easily peel off once you started to play with them. What? Where, uh, whereupon revealing a demonic face underneath, they were made by Hasbro. Oh. The same company that makes G.I. Joe toys. So these were mass-produced at a U.S. company for the CIA to distribute... <laughs> In another country. Like, again, this is one of those things where people go, that that's too weird. Like, these are the kind of things that happen all the time that most people go, that just doesn't fit into my reality. That can't be a real thing. That there's a group of people who, who conceptualized this. There's a group of people who went to Hasbro and said, hey, we need you to do this. There's a group of people at Hasbro that executed. There's so many people involved. A lot. And then they distributed these things. And then it actually happened. Why? To try and psychologically manipulate Children. The, the Philippine? The yeah, Philippine South Asia. Yeah, because that's the, there, there was, at the time, um, a lot of, that's a very Muslim-rich area. Oh, okay. And so they were trying to basically, you know, you always start with the kids, right? Because you can influence them a lot easier than adults of like, they wanted to psychologically print this information. So when they got older, they associated Osama Bin Laden with the devil and not a hero. Right? And the whole thing with having the face peel off was because then it would happen after the parents bought it for him. So if let's say you're the kind of parent who buys your kid an Osama Bin Laden action figure thinking this is oh, a good thing. Yeah. You it, now you're, the CIA has snuck this thing in the house so the kid's playing with blah, blah. And then the face peels off. They go, I'm scared of Osama Bin Laden instead of he's my hero. Like, this is a very crazy plan. Which, again, they went to has that someone in the government approved this plan. Uh, they developed it, went to Hasbro, executed it, and then did it. Like, That's... these are the kind of things that the CIA is working on. So when, I have a couple real weird CIA ones in there, but... That is the most bizarre story I think I've ever heard in my life. Why not make the toys for themselves is my question. Why go to Hasbro? I guess yeah, you, you'd think, like, if they really wanted to have, like, this big crazy thing. It's like, you don't got the, you don't got the means to do this yourself. But I this know. is, again, it highlights the fact that the U.S. government and corporations work together very closely on a lot of this crazy stuff that they yeah. do. It's not, you know, because, I don't know, I always think that's an odd odd thing, but when you realize, like, it's a two-way street, you know, because they're getting technology out of it a lot of times, like, mm -hmm. hey, I scratch your back. This time I need you to do this weird thing for me, but next time, you know, we'll pay you off with, like, here's a new kind of plastic that we've developed that you or can taxes use. taxes or whatever, yeah. yeah. That, wow, that's wild. So, again, just keep that in mind as we read some of these other ones that maybe sound like they're way too weird to be true <laughs> when you hear ones that are 100% true and way weirder. Okay. 
gosh, so, that's go scary. What do you uh, got? I just have a question for you because you like to do you like to do the government operations and sort of leaning towards the past, which everything is in the past, really, if you think about it. But um, well, except for Project Montauk, that has to do with time travel. Okay, we'll you need to, to you need to call. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you said. We need to. That's a whole episode. How many? Because we did just have that eruption of a volcano near mm -hmm. the island of... It has a really long, hard-to-pronounce name. It's like Tagooihuigugugu. It's not that hard, Zach. It's called Tongata or something. No, no, the actual volcano. The volcano itself? I don't know what it's called, actually. <laughs> but it was near the island of Tonga in yeah. the Philippines. Uh, an interesting thing I found out about that, because it just happened, I thought yeah, it was something to... That could have changed the whole climate of the planet if it just kept going. It, it could have. And it was heard 1,100 miles away in... Oh, New Zealand. You gotta update your facts. I heard five thousand miles. Five thousand? Yeah, okay. that might have been detected. I mean, audibly heard is probably one thing, but actually detected. Okay. It, well, it a seven point six earthquake uh, that was triggered after the, the eruption. Really? I don't. I can't remember what came first. Was if it was the earthquake or the eruption? But it was a seven point six somewhere in there. And yeah, you probably got. Did you get the tsunami warning on your I phone? I did. I got the tsunami warning. I I wanted to see what the biggest, what the largest wave that hit the United States was, and it was as far as I found. There was some flooding in a parking lot in Santa Cruz. There was, but the 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 largest waves that I found were four feet waves measured by. My good old friends at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Oh, Noah? Or Noah. <laughs> Noah. And so they were four feet. That's the highest amount of waves. Which doesn't I, sound like much, but... It doesn't, but it is a lot. It's a lot of energy when you think of the fact of how far it had to come before it hit. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. that's a lot of energy. And that's what makes them scary. Even four feet can turn into some pretty heavy damage in the... You know, if you have a... Let's, let's say... If you're somewhere where there's like a tidal flat where you only have maybe a few feet that separate, you know, high and low tide, yeah, it can and be it, devastating. It's clearly, it's not, if you're listening, obviously the Philippines is across the world, but it is actually across the whole world. It's almost across the world from us. So if you have a volcano and an earthquake that it happens and then it's able to move four feet of water across the world, that's significant. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. That's something I found this week. I mean, when you look at the, the size of the volcano, like it, we're, we're, yeah. we got Google Earth pulled up here. We're looking at where it is and where it went. The size of the volcano versus the dissipation of that wave. Yeah. I mean, again, to send an energy wave, because that's what waveforms are all energy, right? To create that, that's a huge amount of energy to push all that water. So, it's so a lot. It, on a, for a science geek, it's a, it's a fun thing to uh, geek out on the numbers on that. Yeah. Uh, anything else on that? That was all. That was sort of some quick facts about that that I found that I'm not. But you um, said you had a question for me, something history. Oh based. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a volcano. Uh, sorry, there was that eruption happened, and then okay, so that got me thinking about little old Hawaii. I've heard of it. Well, I, I looked at some satellite pictures over time of that uh, the volcano that's erupting oh, that we cool. were just talking about, and as that island's being formed, you know, like you know, they were like, here's the last time it formed, and it was just kind of like these two spots of land, and they said then. Like two or three times it exploded, and this isn't you know obviously since satellite images because they have satellite images of it. Then it bridged the two islands, and now this time it's getting bigger, so it's going to be a full on you know island. new island, and that's kind I of a that. fun thing that we're still uh, you know Earth still kicking you know doing this thing. New land fascinates me. 
All right, you ready for another yeah, shoot. horrible trip down memory lane with the, <laughs> with the government? This one is, uh, I think, kind of interesting because a lot of people reference this as to why they don't want to currently take vaccinations, oh. especially people of minorities. So, have you ever heard of the Tuskegee syphilis experiments? No. Okay, well, it's true, unfortunately. It's very unpleasant, but I'm going to do a little reading here. Sure. The Tuskegee syphilis experiments, 399 impoverished black males who had syphilis were offered treatment by the researchers of the U.S. Public Health Services, who did not tell the test subjects that they had syphilis. So basically these people came in for a checkup, they saw that they had syphilis, and they offered them free treatment, but they didn't tell them what for. Um, so who did not tell the test subjects that they had syphilis and did not give them treatment for the disease, but rather just studied them to chart the progress of the disease. By 1947, penicillin had become available as a treatment, but those running the study prevented study participants from receiving treatment elsewhere by lying to them about their true condition, basically keeping them isolated in their study so that they wouldn't try and actually get it because they're trying to chart what happens, mm -hmm. you know so that they could observe the effect of syphilis on the human body. By the end of the study in 1972, only 74 of the test subjects were still alive. 28 of the original 399 men had died of syphilis. 100 were dead of related syphilis complications. 40 of their wives had been infected and 19 of the children of the study participants were now born with syphilis uh, congenital related diseases. The study was not shut down until 1972 mm. when its existence was leaked to the press, forcing the researchers to stop in the face of public outcry. Sure. Meaning, again, a couple things happening there. Things happen that are uh, truly unbelievable where truth is truly stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. that, that sounds like, again, most people listen to that and go, that couldn't have possibly happened. No, this is not conspiracy woo-woo. This is history, meaning it's well-documented. And... It's just, you would, you would think this is something the Nazis would have done, just to study, watch somebody disintegrate. Yes. But we're talking about Tuskegee, Alabama. People, they watched these people deteriorate. They did everything they could to not help them just for the sake of the study. So, and again, lots of people will cite this as, I don't trust the government because right. they do stuff like this. Now, yeah. I'm not saying don't trust the government. I'm just saying that sometimes you have to look into things before you... You know, absolutely. You got to be your own advocate to make sure you're getting the best healthcare possible. I completely agree. It's atrocious what they did. What was the point of the study? Was just to study syphilis? To study the effects of syphilis have gone untreated because they wanted to know, you know, what is stage three syphilis looks like versus stage one. What happens if you know a large population? How much does it spread? Mm. You know, that was why they let it spread to their wives, to their children. They're studying every variable so that they could better. Now, one might argue, well. You know, it was for the greater good, but then on that same token of the you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, mm -hmm. and they're doing it to you know better understand so that they could develop medicine stuff like that. Sure, until it's you that's in the study exactly. without knowing that you're in it, and also it's just terrible that obviously they went and did it to who they viewed to be the most expendable, which right. was black. black people in Alabama. Exactly. You know, obviously. And um, no, I honestly had nothing to say to that. It's, it's Other little, than, yeah, it's just terrible. It's just terrible. It happened. And so, yeah, I mean, it blows my mind that it went from 19, 
1932 yeah. to 1972. So this wasn't like a, you know, a lot of times you hear things like this and it sounds like a flash in the pan or a, a rogue actor, as they like to say, oh, we didn't know they were doing it. This was a government funded for 30 years. U.S. Health. U.S. Health Department. Yeah. These are the people who were supposed to be making sure everybody was safe. Instead, <laughs> they're actively poison, or, you know, allowing right. these people to you know, and, and again, you got to think about the whole mechanism involved here. There were doctors that every day these people, you know, every week or however so often would come in and say, how am I doing, doc? And they go, oh, you're fine. Meanwhile, they're writing the effects, watching them deteriorate. They're worse than before. You know, yeah. it's like when you think that, you know, basically when you, you can't be too naive to think that everybody has your best interest in mind. Yes, you know? right. And very few people do. It, it, and I think that I mean the more the only reason I included that wasn't so to to so distrust more so to to maybe just make you think of like you need to be your own advocate you don't yes for the sake of you and your own family do your research before you you know trust things to be as what they seem because of, do your research. I mean and I and again I I did a lot of research before I had my first child of like you know common things with you know babies and all that stuff and mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that. Again, some of it's just leftover medicine from 70 years ago that no one ever thought to update and other stuff. You know, there's a lot mixed in. And again, that's where you need to do the research yeah. to make sure it is what it is because it's not always what it seems. It isn't. And this is obviously an extreme example, but you never yeah. know. You don't want to get caught off guard. Places we could go because I want to take this thing on the road. Trips. I want to do mobile sure. stuff. and I want to go to Abe Canyon. I know we haven't talked a lot about Bigfoot on this thread, but... Uh, we haven't, actually. Isn't that weird? It, it consumes a lot of my time. <laughs> but uh, I would really like to go to Ape Canyon, because I bet there's some really cool plaques. Okay, where is it? It's uh, it's about three hours away. Okay, south, north? West. I think it's south. So south, okay. okay. Three hours away north would be Canada. So. That's, my, that's my vote for field trip. Ape Canyon. And then I'm perfectly willing to go to, like... Like a museum, but like one of the weirder museums, like there's a reptile museum in Boston, I'm not saying we're going to get on a plane and go to a museum, but I'm saying like go to a weird one where like even the curator is like messed up in there's the There's a head. very quirky museum like that over in Port Townsend that's is like there? a sea life museum that looks like a sideshow from the 1950s. Okay, it's possible. Then, Let's go there. And there's an old timey guy that's like, let me show you the barnacles. <laughs> And it is fantastic. We went there on a whim. Like, we were just happened to be there, like, in Port Townsend, like, for something. And we were just walking around killing time. And we went in there, and we were like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Like, I want to get weird. And I, I want to see weird people. And obviously, there's weird things everywhere. But Have you been to the, uh, <laughs> sorry, all my roadside attraction novelty <laughs> related things, but... There's, we, you can go on like a driving tour of all this because they filmed Harry and the Hendersons here in a lot oh, of did they? Wow. There's a lot of uh, Harry and the Henderson. Uh, the, actually, there's a, the house that they filmed in is only a few blocks from your house where you live. Did you know that? It's I in West no Seattle. Yeah. Where did you. Maybe we'll talk about your experience on the next podcast or something, but where, 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 where did it happen? Near the St. Croix. River State Park in Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. Okay, so we can't yeah. go there. No, um, nothing. Okay, but, so but you know, you know oh, how about this? Uh, I won't say his name. Uh, <laughs> we should get him on as a guest. Oh my gosh, I don't know if that's a good idea, man. <laughs> well, once we start branching into having guests that aren't Grayson and Jason, yeah, uh, I have a, a few people that I think would be entertaining as guests. But 
a couple people we we know that have some very good uh, first or second hand encounters that I don't think we'd have to dig too hard to find like local places where we could be like hey we got Duval we still never went to Duval and uh, we could get what's them. in Duval remember the incident with the Bigfoot killing the horse on the friend's property that's happened in Duval yeah that was in Duval oh I didn't know that yeah dude let's go there yeah I wanted to go there when it, after it just have it's like a couple years old now. So, listeners, we had a friend who uh, yeah. came to us and told us that his parents had uh, some very strange happenings on their farm where they had a horse that uh, was killed, and uh, they found some uh, very thought... large 18-foot footprints right next to it, and they were terrified of what had happened. I told it. you about that. I told you about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not that far. No. Oh, that would be cool to just go out there anyway. Whatever. Yeah, we could definitely do that, Duval. And we're at almost an hour already, so... <clears throat> we're going right up the last minute. We got, I, mean, I got like five more things to go okay. There's another thing I... I was thinking about Japanese stuff this week, because I saw these Japanese construction pants. I remembered these Japanese construction pants from when I was there. They look really ill-suited to the task of actually doing real-world construction, because they're sort of like parachutes on your legs. Mm -hmm. But there's so many of these guys wear them there. And maybe you current day or current okay i'll show you some pictures it got me thinking about japan and all like, that what do they know about pants that we don't know that's yeah. a whole episode right there Pants conspiracy i think i might buy some but if you wear them here it's just the thing is you're gonna look like a complete insane person well they're so crazy i mean every early adapter you want to talk about insane Here's what I did this weekend. It's okay. so funny that you should talk about this because I just recently purchased a very well-crafted Japanese onesie. Uh, <laughs> or not Japanese, sorry, Norwegian. Norwegian onesie. And I got one for me and one for my wife because we are going to stay in a hotel this weekend. And oh. uh, at first uh, she looked at me like, what the heck is that? I'm like, try it on. And she put it on she's like, yeah, this is a game changer. They're so <laughs> comfortable and uh, they don't have feet on them. They're, like, they're not like a little kid's oh, onesie. Feetless, okay. But, but they are like, you got elastic around the ankles. The one I got is fleece. The one she got is velvet, and she loves it. Mine has like an Aztec print on it, so I look like a crazy person. But as I walked around, at first people's reaction was, this dude looks like he's crazy, because I was like leaving the hotel room with it. You know, I thought this would be great for road trips, flying on an airplane. Uh, yeah. You know, going camping especially because you know you're just sitting by the fire. Right. You to, we're not indoor. This is not an unpaid advertisement, by the way. But if you want one, go to OnePiece.com. Uh, but anyways, and so uh, at first, people's reaction were that dude looks crazy, and they very quickly changed to, but he looks comfortable as heck. I am super jelly. So uh, and Miranda said the same thing. She went down to get something from the front desk, and they were like, "Is that a velvet onesie?" And she's like, "It is." And they're like, "Okay." I'll, I'll, I'll check okay, them out. Uh, but where did you get it? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, so it's kind of funny. But, so, you're, so you got some on order then? They're, well, they're coming? They're in the mail? I want to I wanna order them. Um, they're not that expensive. And there's everything from like medieval sort of style to like actual Japanese. Because you know, um, Grayson is into, I mean, me too, because I have to dress for the historic events. Like I get period correct clothing for that stuff. But yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I have a cartoon character wardrobe, but... Sort uh, of, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're in good company. Grayson just got, he's trying to dress like 
it was funny because we were trying to find stuff for like the 1920s time frame for like to match the cars that we were racing. Oh, right. And and we were looking at the clothes and he's like, have you seen this? I'm like, I love it. And I'm like, why don't we dress like it's the 1920s all the time? This I love this fashion. But again, you just look like a crazy person. You do look a little crazy and you can do that game. Like you can play that with the public. Like, look at me. Like, I look weird. But you can... I feel like that stuff's fine until a point where, like, everyone's looking at you, thinking exactly yeah, I mean, the same I mean, there's a difference between, like, peppering in some of the influences of that. Like, maybe you just wear a pair of pants from that period, but not, like, a full... If you dress full head-to-toe, yeah. it's a bit... It's a bit... Yes. Are you... Unless you're going to, like, a Renaissance fair, you can't dress like the Middle Ages, you know? Like... I want to dress steampunk just as much as the next guy. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a legitimate genre, and don't tell me it's not. I mean, if we can... People dress or walk around like juggalos, I mean, <laughs> They just live their lives. Yeah. So that's something cool I found. And, um, well, I look forward to seeing those pants. Yeah, let's, we'll see if I get them uh, ever. That's right. about it for me. All right, I got I got a couple more. We'll go till we just run out yeah. of time. Okay, you may have heard of this one. This one made uh, some pretty big news back in the 70s. 1974 to be exact. Uh, there were congressional hearings because a senator by the name of Church was his last name basically uh, doing some whistleblowing because he was so upset about some of the actions of the CIA. Basically, the tipping point was when he found out that the CIA had what was called a heart attack gun. This, figure, this brought to the American people uh, a Senate hearing where they actually brought the gun out and showed it to them that this is not happening. They, like, they have created this hardware. So the clandestine services had its people researching all sorts of various ways to kill their targets. The CIA soon latched onto poisons, one of which was an undetectable poison and appeared to mimic a heart attack. They found it in a specially designed poison engineered for the CIA. So basically CIA chemists, which if you know anything about CIA chemists in Operation Paperclip, these were not CIA chemists. These were repurposed Nazi chemists that were excellent at making poisons. Nazis boo. Yeah, Nazis boo. Only a skilled pathologist who knew what to look for would have even the remotest possibility of discovering that a victim had been killed by these because the uh, heart attack poison was so uh, accurate at being seen as natural causes. To deliver the poison, they had uh, created a bullet that would be made out of ice with the ice injected with this poison so that it would be completely undetectable because the ice would melt and the poison would be injected into the bloodstream. Wow. So basically it was like a dart, a very small dart, if you were to see it, that would shoot in and then melt. And then there'd be, the poison would be untraceable. There'd be no bullet hole because this ice dart would have, you know, dissolved. There would be a hole. It, it's more, like I said, it's like it's a dart, a, very small. Really small. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the genius of it. Of It would leave no sign. So all of a sudden someone would just appear to have a heart attack. Wow. And fall on the ground and die. The poison would be untraceable. The bullet would be untraceable. You know, this is the spy game. Like, this is the stuff where you watch a James Bond movie or something. And you go, this can't be real. This is like science fiction stuff. But again, they brought it before Congress. And you know what the CIA's response was? Don't worry. We've never actually used it. This was just in theory. And now that you know that it's real, we promise we're never going to use it again. They go, you just said you never used it. So what do you mean again? Never mind. Do you want to see how this works? Then shut up. Oh, my God. 
goodness. Uh, yeah, right. They've never used it. So, again, they, they said that they promised they'd never use it and that they'd destroy it, which, by the way, they never did. Uh, they were supposed to relinquish this weapon to the army so that they could dispose of it. They never did. And they just said, just shut up. And we're, yeah. <laughs> they're going to do whatever they want. So That was back in 74. That was 74 that they had that technology. Yeah. So, again, like we've talked about before, imagine what they're using to do the dirty deeds they do now. A lot weirder stuff. Way weird. Now it's just attached to a drone and they don't even have to be in the same hemisphere. It's from space. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a space dart. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that kind of brings up another side story. Have you ever heard of the Havana Syndrome? I haven't, but I feel like maybe I have, but hold on, it's, it's about to... Uh... Is it cut out at 57? Yeah, an hour. Oh, do we want to sign out? Log off? Thanks for listening to Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Uh, have a great week. Enjoy your, your time on Earth. Yeah.